Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Jennifer Jenkins to the show. Dr. Jenkins leads the team responsible for Enviva's environmental stewardship from guiding the development and implementation of policies that ensure the sustainability and traceability of the wood supply chain to interacting with policymakers and other stakeholders on regulatory matters. She holds a PhD in ecosystem ecology from the University of New Hampshire, an MBA from the University of Maryland's R.H. Smith School of Business, a Master of Forest and Science from Yale University, and a BA in Biology and Environmental Studies from Dartmouth College. Jennifer, how are you doing today? Ah, just fine. Thank you. Jennifer, where in the world are you today? I'm in Bethesda, Maryland. How's the weather up there? Uh, yeah, I can't see out the window, um, but this morning it was nice. It's uh, it's signs of spring this morning outside. You know, I'm in Dallas and we're having signs of spring too. The trees are beginning to blossom, so it looks very pretty out there. Yeah, I know. I, I feel more and more uneasy um, as the spring becomes earlier and earlier. But I, I you know, <laughs> I can't deny it's nice to see at, at the end of a winter. I've heard that a couple of times this year already. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jennifer, I like to open this show by asking my guest the following question. If you were asked to share something interesting about yourself, what would it be? Um, I have always been somebody who cared a lot about the outdoors and the wilderness and, and the environment. And I would say probably the, the best way to capture that is to let you know that when I my very first job, um, when I you know, started working to earn money was as a whitewater raft guide on the Shenandoah River in West Virginia. So I've never done rafting, but I've heard it can be quite interesting and adventurous. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And so there I was like a 16 year old raft guide <laughs> driving from my family's home in D.C. to West Virginia on the weekend. And it was uh, it was an adventure, it was an experience. I really enjoyed it. Any quick stories you can share? Um, I'll have to leave that to my rafting colleagues, I think. Um, but, uh, no, I, any quick stories. There was the time, um, if anybody is familiar with whitewater kayaking and rafting, you know, there's a phenomenon of a, something called a hole and in a hole is where the water sort of, it's like a waterfall and it comes in. And if you get too close, you can, you can recirculate, right? And so the raft will flip. And I remember the one time the water was low and I flipped a raft twice with customers in it, both in the, in the morning and then in the afternoon. And that was, a, that was a famous day for me and my colleagues. That term, recirculating, doesn't sound very um, no. <laughs> comforting. No. No, no, no. no, nobody got hurt. Nobody got hurt, but it was embarrassing. Well, good, good. So, Jennifer, can you share with the audience your current Endeavor organization? Yeah, I am uh, the Chief Sustainability Officer at Enviva. Uh, Enviva is a company that makes wood pellets. They're a compressed wood that is used as a substitute for coal in uh, power and heat applications. And what kind of wood do you use for the pellets? Um, we So we are an integrated part of the forest products industry uh, and our operations are in the southeast U.S. We have eight mills in the southeast um, and we use low-grade wood uh, that is a byproduct of a traditional timber harvest. So it's sort of tops and limbs, Secondary residues from mil- from other mills, from sawmills, um, you know, thinnings, pre-commercial thinnings, 
and uh, understory understory trees that that are not suited and don't meet the specs for higher quality, longer lived use. You know, whenever I mention to a family friend or you know people in my circle regarding wood pellets, almost inevitably they point me towards. You mean that grill in Costco with the I think it's called Traeger, I believe. But that seemed to become very popular the last few years that uses wood pellets also. Are you familiar with them? Yeah, I uh, I know, yeah, and I have some colleagues who have one. I, I wouldn't that's on my list. I want to have one myself. I, I guess um, that's not the I mean they're they look the same. Um, there are certainly smaller wood pellet facilities in you know, in New England and other parts of the country and actually the world that make wood pellets for residential use like that. Um, the wood pellets that we make are, um, the, you know, same kind of pellet, right? But we, we just make them at scale. So our we're an industrial producer. So we make about three and a half to four million tons a year of wood pellets. Um, and we ship them in large ships, uh, bulk carriers, to our customers who are located offshore. Wow. So you're the chief sustainability officer. That's a role that's becoming more and more popular nowadays amongst companies. Just, you know, a day in the life of what do you do in the day of, you know, the chief sustainability officer? Um, No two days are the same. This is uh, probably the most um, interesting and challenging um, position that I've held in in my career. Um, In any, you know, any, well, the days are packed, right? So um, probably the best way for me to, to explain what I do is to describe broadly my team's scope, right? So we are broadly responsible for the environmental stewardship of the company. So we create the systems and processes that our wood procurement team uses to make sure that when we buy wood, um, harvest was the best outcome for that tract of land. Um, we interact with policymakers and regulators in markets, both domestically and overseas. We manage the supply chain transparency programs, our track and trace system that we use to um, convey the characteristics of the wood that we use and to publish that for our stakeholders. Um, we're responsible for uh, corporate, the sort of uh, reporting and disclosures around Uh, corporate social responsibility. So we'll be preparing our first disclosures this year, um, you know, following the SASB standards. Um, What else? We we manage and maintain the responsible sourcing policy and our portfolio of of, um, initiatives and activities related to that. Uh, So we have a restoration work that we do and conservation work as well, all in in the Southeast area. It does sound like a full day, and I really appreciate you taking time to talk to us today. Yeah. So, Jennifer, what led you to this role? Like, the, you know, the, the crux of our conversation here is the why behind what you do. So how did you end up as Chief Sustainability Officer in Viva? Um, yeah, so that's a really easy question to, to ask. And it's probably, it's probably going to take a little longer to answer. The, um, uh, I, you know, I think the, th- the thread that has run through my career um, since the beginning has really been a focus on action um, and and practicality, a focus on climate um, and a focus on forests, I would say. And so those three things have informed pretty much everything I have done from 
my, um, you know, the PhD that I did at the University of New Hampshire in natural resources to the postdoc um, and research forester role at the U.S. Forest Service, where I developed methods for quantifying forest carbon, to my research work at the University of Vermont, uh, where I was a research professor looking at forest atmosphere carbon exchange. That led me to the U.S. EPA, uh, where I studied um, forest, you know, I did, again, was responsible for the forest atmosphere portfolio at the, at the agency. Uh, and also, um, that was where I began working on bioenergy because I worked on the biogenic carbon emissions portfolio for the U.S. EPA as they were um, figuring out how to quantify emissions from the stack when one uses biomass instead of coal. Um, I left EPA in 2014 and started at uh, Inviva in 2016. So what drove your passion towards forests? Um, I have always been somebody who identified strongly with the environment and with the natural world. I had, um, you know, even as a kid, when I was in high school, um, I went to a private school in Washington, D.C. that had a program where instead of, um, you know, going and playing soccer or field hockey after school, we would go kayaking on the Potomac River every day after school. And you could also, if you wanted, you could choose to go rock climbing. Um, and we would, we would all pile in a bus after, you know, at three o'clock um, and go just outside and enjoy being outdoors five days a week. And we get home at six or six thirty. Um, and I just really loved that. And then every, you know, every vacation, there was another opportunity to go out and uh, and just enjoy being outside. And so we would go to the Rio Grande for spring break and do a canoeing trip, or we would go to the Sangre de Cristo Mountains in New Mexico over over the winter break and do uh, cross country skiing. And then in the summers, I just sort of craved being outside and and would go um, uh, backpacking and river rafting and mountain climbing in in the western U.S. Um, just such majestic, gorgeous, natural areas out there um, and just develop such an appreciation for what wilderness means for humanity and, um, and what the natural world means, frankly, for our survival. Um, and uh, so just when it came time to choose a career, it was just pretty clear that that was where I needed to go, right? So my first job, as I said, was outside on the, on the water doing, you know, learn, taking the skills I had learned in kayaking and applying them to rafting. Um, and then, you know, when I time to go to grad school, I went to the School of Forestry and Environmental Studies and um, the rest is, you know, that's the rest of the story. So I'm gonna ask you a personal question here. I have a 10 year old daughter who is head over heels with bugs and I'm trying to encourage and foster that. And she wants to grow up to be an entomologist. Obviously, your parents, not obviously, but it seemed like your parents did something to foster your interest or encourage your interest. Any tips on what I can do with my daughter? Yeah, you know, it's funny that you say that because I, my, um, my, my mom, I think, was somebody who really encouraged, who really encouraged that in me. But I didn't do any of that with my family, believe it or not. Um, My, you know, I think. I'm not sure my dad has been outside since Boy Scouts. And I think he probably, he would, you know, he would swear it off. He would rather stay in a hotel than, you know, outside of a tent. Um, my mom, my mom definitely encouraged it. I guess, what should you do? Just don't stand in their way, you know, um, and uh, encourage, 
you know, provide opportunities wherever you can for her to follow her passion. I'm, I'm, I am really trying. I'm trying to, you know, I'm buying her all the bug books and buying her all the bug kits and trying to tell her about all the neat jobs she can get as an entomologist, even as high as perhaps, you know, working for the government. So I am, I'm really trying on that. Yeah, yeah. And go to museums. There's a fantastic bug. Um, I feel like I went to a museum where there was just such a great like bug exhibit and you could actually like take them out of cages and stuff and look at them up close. Very cool. Well, if you think of the place, please email me. I'll be happy to take her. <laughs> I will. Thanks. So earlier you mentioned the word stewardship. You know, what can we do to be better stewards of the environment? Um, so... Yeah, better stewards of the environment. I think um, that word stewardship to me conjures up, you know, there are a couple of different aspects of, of that, I think. Um, when we talk about forest stewardship, um, what we're talking about is sound forest management, right? Being, recognizing our role as people who are responsible for the health and the welfare of that resource. Right. Um, and uh, and so I think, for, you know, the profession of forester, you know, the foresters as a profession, right, as a whole, that's their whole you know, focus is sound stewardship um, and ensuring that the, the system is left better than we found it. And so for forests, what does that mean? Um, it means making sure that areas that ought to be conserved are in a conserved state, right? It means investing in easements where those are appropriate. It means, um, you know, as a forester, as a, you know, as a company in the forest products industry, for us, it means making sure we know where the high conservation values are um, and making sure that we make sure they stay, you know, intact. It means ensuring that forests are regrown as forests and they don't get converted to another use. It means harvesting them when, you know, the, the, when it's the best, um, when they're at their maximum um, sort of volume for, for, to provide the maximum revenue for the landowner, right? Because stewardship is another, it also provides um, a benefit for those who own the forest. And, and the more value that landowner can reap from the, from the land that they own, that they care for, um, the more likely they are to keep it as forest. And not convert it, you know, not sell it to someone who's going to convert it to homes or a shopping mall. Um, you know, in terms of the, for me as a as a climate person, um, stewardship to me means, you know, creating government policies that encourage carbon emissions reduction. You know, we need to be stewards of our global environment and our global atmosphere. Um, it means doing what you can, um, you know, on a personal level to to mitigate your own carbon footprint you know not in a you know not in a in a way that's um you know sanctimonious or you know judgmental just sort of you know being conscious and aware i hear that a lot from guests essentially you know the theme they come back with is to do your own small part so i really appreciate that and i also appreciate you kind of clarifying the stewardship part so jennifer if you were to give some advice or words of wisdom to the audience what would they be um, yeah, I mean, in, in terms of career development um, and sort of just following your following your bliss, I guess, um, I think the, the thing that has been the best advice that I ever received, and I think it is really valuable, is uh, just don't say no. 
right? When, when somebody asks you a question, right, or invites you to participate in an event or a project, you know, you might think, oh man, I don't think I can do that. It's another thing on my plate. I feel so busy. Or how can I possibly be the right person? Why are they, you know, why are they asking me? Um, but I think just don't say no, just do it, right? Add it to your plate. It might feel like a lot. It might feel too much. Um, but if it's interesting to you, go ahead and say yes. I think that was really, that was really good advice. And that sort of served me well in my career. Um, and the other piece of advice I would give, especially to aspiring, even especially to aspiring scientists, but really to everybody is learn how to write. Um, I think being able to write is going, is, is the most critical skill that, that, um, I see so many young people uh, lack, and without it, it's really hard to get ahead, um, right? As a as a as a scientist, you need to know how to write in order to convey the results of your work. Um, you even, you know, as an advocate, you need to be able to write to convince somebody of your point of view. Um, as just a, a member of the general public, you need to be able to write in complete sentences in order to to fashion a believable and appropriate email. Um, but all those things are going to are going to serve you well. It'll never be a bad never be a bad a bad investment. That last piece of advice is very interesting regarding learn to write. Are you seeing a decline in that in your communication with people? Um, n- not necessarily, but I but I think um, you know we're we're here you know you know, I, that's something I can select for, right. In my, on my own team. Um, so, but I also know that the people that I interact with, um, you know, outside of my team, um, if they are much more believable and convincing, if they know how to write, I also think in order to get ahead, um, you know, even, and this was advice I always gave to my students at the university, you know, they would be studying, chemistry or physics and they would say you know I don't need to have I don't need to know how to write I'm a scientist and my response is nothing could be further from the truth because if you as a scientist don't know how to convey your ideas in written form um, those ideas are never going to get out into the open and they're never going to be shared with the rest of the world and if that's the case then why are you doing this work um, it's you know it's no it's no use to anyone if you can't talk about it and write about it um, and I think as a scientist, um, in order to, I mean, you know, very, very practical thing, scientists have to write grant proposals to be funded to, to do research, right? And if they can't do that, um, then they're kind of out of a job. So that's another just a really practical um, consideration that I think people all too often don't really appreciate. Well, I appreciate the fact you pointed that out. And I also really appreciate your other advice regarding saying yes. You said yes to this interview, and I really appreciate your time today. Are there any last words you'd like to share with the audience? Um, no, thank you very much for, for your interest. I really, I've enjoyed talking. Appreciate your, appreciate the time. Jennifer, thank you so much. And, you know, as a father of three young girls, I hold people like you as role models for them. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you for listening. And if you like what you heard, please give us a rating and review at Apple Podcast. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production. And if you want to show your support and help us grow, 
please share with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle.